Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to season four of the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosher. And we're here once again to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, I'm man? I'm doing fantastic. Woo! Season four. Woo! Here we go. And we're kicking it off with a neat idea. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the song, but let's just say you go into a battlefield of war. Okay? This okay. is your movie scene. You're right. on war. Okay, I'm picturing. What do you pick as your weapon? Do you pick an axe, a sword, a sledgehammer? Hint. <laughs> Are you on horseback? How are you garbed? I want. Am I am I mythical? Yeah, am you can I, be whatever you. Can you can I, be the freaking dragon. Can I, you can be. What what are you in your battlefield of war? Oh man, give me a. I'm trying to think to like the the video games of my youth, okay. like uh, Altered Beast, yeah, and like uh, what was the one where there was like it was like four four little mythical people, and each of them had their own color in the game. It was called like Battle. Quest or some generic. Win. I don't know. That's anyway, awesome. I always went with the guy with the big axe. Okay, there you go. That's that's a good weapon of choice. Yeah, I, I think I would probably go axe too, depending on how heavy it is. I'm yep. not super strong, so it's got to be something I can swing. Yep. And then I'm like, do I go shield? To protect with the other hand, or yeah. am I just straight up two-handed weapon? Yeah, just warrior. Just if I die, I die. Plate. That's right. But I tell you what, Peter Gabriel would pick. What would he pick? He would pick a sledgehammer. Oh. So we're super psyched about the opening of season four. We decided to do something different. Uh, if you're listening on release day, you'll probably notice that there are multiple episodes in your inbox. That's not a mistake. Here on uh, season four, day one, uh, we decided to go triple threat, man. We're going a, a triple play of musical goodness from the Genesis family tree. And so we're going to go chronologically. This will be episode one of, of three of the three-part big season opener. Uh, and this is going to be a Peter Gabriel sledgehammer. Next episode, we're going to do a listen through of Genesis's Genesis's Genesis Genesis's uh, Invisible Touch album, and then we're going to go post Invisible Touch uh, with Mike and the Mechanics hit classic The Living Years. So we're going to kick it off with Peter Gabriel now from the Genesis Family Tree from the album. So this is Sledgehammer. Course. Let's do another verse. Going up and down 
listen to all the funkiness going on. So much funkiness. Testify, Peter. Go right ahead. Go ahead, testify, Peter. Oh, I. You know what? There can there could not be a better episode to start a season with. It makes me feel so good immediately. Like from the second the horn section hits you in the face. Yeah, ba ba da ba ba da. Come on, that's just instant uh, goodness. I don't care what kind of mood you're in. Like that just made you better. This is this song is happy pills. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. actually, thematically, it may be a little more like Viagra. We'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah sledgehammer aka happy pills aka happy pills yeah sledgehammer by peter gabriel from the 1986 album so uh we'll talk about that <laughs> in just a minute uh the song hit number one on the billboard hot 100 and it actually displaced uh invisible touch by genesis from the number one spot and those songs uh sledgehammer for peter gabriel and invisible touch by genesis were their only number one hits in the us so that's just a really funny synergy around there's multiple uh crossover informations between this album and this song in particular and invisible touch by genesis very very interesting stuff because the and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this in the genesis episode but Peter Gabriel hasn't been in Genesis for years at this point. This is not his first post-Genesis album, and this is not their first album post-Peter Gabriel. Um, But somehow, it just so happened that in 1986, there was this weird synergy where they they were following similar career arcs. I don't know if people were just ready. You know what I mean? They were like, man, you know who I miss? Genesis. (laughs) And you know who else? I miss that dude that used to sing for Genesis. Um, So, yeah, it's very weird. Uh, So it hit number one in the U.S. on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, number one on the U.K. singles chart, and number one in Canada. Top five, top three, all over the place, worldwide smash. Um, Really huge landmark video. Um, And I was looking, I don't know if you saw this, but MTV. 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 MTV actually actually ranked this the fourth best video of all time. Yeah. Just behind number three, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay. Number two, Vogue. And number one, Thriller. Wow. I mean, that's, that is high. Uh, Okay. Smells Like Teen Spirit, I think, is one of those (laughs) things where there's always that stuff that's like, importance right ties in it's not the best impact it's not the third best video of all time you know what i'm saying like beyonce is out there you know what i'm saying kanye (laughs) west is not happy about smells like teen spirit guns and roses who we talked about to end season three spent all that money they want to (laughs) say ours is just a little bit better than smells like teen spirit but okay i'll give you i'll give you importance yes that it can make that list uh but yeah what was number two again a Vogue. Vogue. Okay, I, I get know. that. I mean, it was so stylized. I said about Sir. McDonough. <laughs> <laughs> She's franchised That's now. Right. You know, Mc- you can McDonough. You can you can be your own McDonough if you <laughs> if you pay enough money. You know, you ever seen a, a, a person who Vogues? That's like a verb now. You like I'm a Voguer. I don't think it's so. The, it's the people who dance like that, but it's done like really, and they all, like frame their faces right. with Face their hands frame. and do all that stuff. Uh. They're like I'm like it's like a subsect of dancers like i'm a voguer it's what i do <laughs> that, anyway uh but stems from from that come on 
vote. Anyway, uh, but we're not talking about Madonna, probably ever. I don't think she'll make the list. You know, <clears throat> there's a couple of um, a couple of songs that I always liked, uh, but now if I go back and listen to them, I'm not I'm not really a Madonna person anymore. Never was really a Madonna person, but like now, even the stuff that I used to like, I just really don't. You know, whatever. I used to really like that song. This is way tangent. Like we're five minutes into season one, and I'm already way off the tracks. Nothing but. says sledgehammer like Madonna. <laughs> exactly. But uh, there was that song. Uh, it was from some s- soundtrack of some movie, uh, Higher Learning, maybe. I think feel like it had Joe Pesci. Anyway, uh, but it was called Rain. Rain is what the thunder brings. Anyway, I always liked it as a as a kid. If you go back and listen to it now, though, there's a part where. Uh, I almost feel like I should play it because it's never going to get mentioned again. There's a part in the in the verses where she breaks off into three part harmony, and it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Like this is pre- she, she does all three. Parts. She does all three parts, and it's obvious, right? And it's and it's not it's not um you know soaked up with effects or whatever to make it sound. It's just it's dry. pretty bare and yep. pretty dry. And so it's like um, the line is like to show me how you. Feel and the other vocals come in. Feel, feel, but they're oh so pitchy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm like, ooh, like, that's Madonna. You know what I'm saying? She was already like the biggest female act yeah. in the world at that point, and uh, and the, the record producer just let it slip. Let like it go that. under there. Oh gosh, it makes you appreciate auto tune for sure. Anyway, they're like you've you've endured uh, Joe Pesci's annoying voice. Then this isn't going to bother you. <laughs> anyway, welcome to season four of the Great Song Podcast. <laughs> I'm fantastic, Rob. <laughs> We're talking about Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, in case you forgot while I digressed about Madonna. Uh, that's probably the most Madonna talk you'll ever hear from us. So if you're a Madonna fan, go away and <laughs> come back when you like somebody good. All right. Uh, so, okay, again with this, I am I already said in the Kansas episode, I'm tired of talking about this, but Sledgehammer was the last song to be recorded for the album, so... And again, I'm not making this up. I promise this comes from research. This comes from like verified sources, okay, that uh, band members were already tearing down gear when old Pete came waltzing in the door with one last idea. He's like, hey, you know what? I got this kind of funky thing about a sledgehammer. Why don't we (laughs) give it a shot? And then it ends up being literally his signature song. You know what I mean? Um, I guess maybe if you're a real Peter Gabriel mark, you might say like, uh, you know, in your eyes, uh, in your eyes, That's, or was it uh, Salisbury Hill? Uh, Salisbury, 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 right? not Salisbury steak. Salisbury Sorry. steak <laughs> coming from the fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> we normally kick off our fantastics with what I've eaten for the day. So that no, was true. That yeah. was our uh, yeah. our digression into food yeah. choices. Uh, so yeah, you know, but but for the general public, right? This was one of the things. This was like Peter Gabriel's. Um, like royal uh, ushering into the mainstream pop, you know, whatever. Genesis was as a as a progressive rock, progressive pop band, a little bit under the mainstream radar. Um, and 1986, man, Peter Gabriel and Genesis both catapulted into the pop stratosphere. Um, this album was huge. Invisible Touch was huge, and it literally changed both of their careers, you know, forever, and made them like you know legendary. You know, whatever. And I think for Genesis, Genesis followed my uh, prescribed pattern for legendary fame for the rest of your life, which is they followed up Invisible Touch with, with We Can't, we can't dance. dance. Yep. Uh, and, One, two. If you make ba- Thriller Bad. Yeah, exactly. If you can make two iconic records back to back, you're gold forevermore. Uh, Gabriel, d- he obviously continues to this day to be, a, you know, a massive uh, draw for tours and, you know, album sales and a, just a legend. Um, but, uh, but I, I would, I would think that Genesis 
and Phil, and Phil Collins, that side of it is probably more popular worldwide than Peter Gabriel. I I'd have wrong. to say so. But yeah, if you ask, anyway, I think that's probably true. I, of course. Of course it's true. I said it. Because Rob said it. I said it's it. On it's the on the internet. It's on the Great Song Podcast. Yeah. That's right. So uh, this, the style of this song and of, of many of the other songs from the album is kind of a tribute to Peter Gabriel's love uh, for the soul music of the 1960s, and in particular the sound of like Otis Redding and the sound of the Memphis horns uh, from Stax Records. And you hear a lot of the um, – I, I, and I believe the lead uh, horn player on this was a part of Otis Redding's band – uh, back in the day. Yeah, it was. And, Wayne uh, Jackson. We Wayne can talk Jackson about him there. in the Meet the Band section. Absolutely. Um, and so this came from uh, that place from him. Like, heretofore, Peter Gabriel has been a just kind of an odd duck, right? He's been this very sort of avant-garde, you know, artsy uh, kind of – not artsy for artsy's sake, but artsy because he was just that kind of guy, right? The earlier Genesis stuff is kind of um, out there. And it's a little less, it's a lot less accessible than this, right? Like everybody can get down with Sledgehammer and obviously everybody did, which is why we're still talking about it. Um, but uh, his stuff before that is is a lot more kind of hard to get to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. Um, and so it takes a lot more interpretation, a lot more appreciation for a different vein of music, um, you know, than this does. Like this groove hits and you're hooked. Forget it. You're done. You know, you have no choice but to be but to be grooving along to the song. Um, so it's kind of a shift for him. And we talked about this last season uh, a little bit about Paul Simon kind of did the same thing where Gabriel took some uh, a lot of kind of like African and soul rhythms and ideas. And even um, even you have the you have the shakuhachi, which is a Japanese flute uh, featured in this song. You know, just a lot of like other cultures, you know, um, in influenced into this added to this kind of funk sound. And, um, so he, he kind of faced some of the same criticism as Paul Simon did. Um, you know, as, as far as like appropriation, you know, is that, is it, oh, is that okay to do? That's everybody's question is like, is that okay? And everybody's got their, you know, opinions. I don't know. How, how do you feel if, if a, do you feel that, that a cultural sound can be owned by a culture. I don't. I mean, not. I mean, it can remind you of something or take, but I don't think yeah. that's just exclusively for them. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I basically agree. As far as there, I, I think there's a there are limits. You know what I'm saying? There are things that you can't, you know. Um, but uh, as long as I think, as long as you don't claim it as yours, right? That's maybe the line for for me. Mm-hmm. As far as like. You know, if if I were to take, um, if I, if in other words, if I if I were to take a an African style African sound, if I made you know, if I made Graceland by Paul Simon, and and I said, listen to this cool new sound that I have concocted, ah, right? Okay. This cool new. It's trying to um, take credit for something that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as long as you say, listen, this is borrowed. Mm-hmm. Like this vibe is not mine, right? This is. This is um, this is me paying homage to exactly yes this is tribute you know and um, or or influence right like I even you know I, man I was really impacted by this kind of vibe when I heard it and so I I you know it kind of became a part of me and I wanted to include it on some of my stuff as long as it doesn't feel like a um, as long as I guess as long as it feels sort of authentic to you and you kind of own it 
as far as it, it doesn't feel like a money grab. It's a weird line. It's a weird, you know what I mean? Like, are you just marrying this sound because you know it will resonate with people and, and you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a touchy, it's a touchy thing, but obviously, um, Peter Gabriel is probably glad that he did it. What, you know, however, um, and he's, he has said a lot that he never, his, you know, he's got higher aspirations than fame, right? Peter Gabriel's too good for fame. Um, he's not what he's about. He's about the art and he's about the stage show and the, you know what I mean? Presentation. The presentation and making the statement, um, and, 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 and using the technology and bettering humanity. And he, and he's a part of a lot of humanitarian work. Um, and it's always from, from his mouth, you know, been about the art and fame is secondary at least, or at best, at seems, most. Seems like a pretty good dude, unless yeah. he's just using that for you know, exactly. yes. like, false humility. I'm the most humble guy I know. <laughs> yes, <It's> exactly. Like- <laughs> yeah. Um, so now that being said, uh, this song's about sex. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't really know. I, I don't know what else to tell you. We it's don't have a, a good way to sugarcoat it. No, it's we'll- about trying to get busy with a lady. Uh, I wanted it to be something else, something deeper, um, but it just isn't. It's about the sex. And uh, when he does it live, he does this weird, like, two-fisted hammering himself in the face while he thrusts his pelvis forward. Have you seen It's disgusting. Um, let's just move on. It's all sex. Okay. Um, no, I mean, have you seen him do it live? I haven't, It's no. uncomfortable, man. It's like, because I'm talking about, I saw, I saw, I watched a video of him doing it live with Sting that was like just a few years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And he's doing this weird thing. You're like, I'm like, bro, you're in your 60s. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's gross. Get that away. Yeah. It's like, um, man, I, <laughs> He's like, just in case you thought this might be about something else, these, <laughs> that these metaphors were, yeah. you know, otherwise directed. Uh, no, it's definitely about the sex. Um, and we we throw out, we pride ourselves. We were talking it before we started on being a very family friendly podcast right. here, so we won't hover too long around this topic. Yeah, but uh, because the song, the, Rob says the last thing he listens to is the lyrics. The lyrics. So there yeah. you go. So we'll just uh, we'll resonate on the horn parts and the and <laughs> yeah. the magic of the of the musicality of this song. I did notice, you know, we're researching and we're recording all these episodes together. This Genesis Family Tree Trio. Uh, Genesis Family Trio. Hey. hey. Um, anyway, we um, so in doing that, what I what I did was I I did research into the individual songs, and then I started listening to them all again. And what I found out about myself is once I know what a song about what a song is about, I'm much more prone to listen and pay attention to the lyrics and kind of take them in. To take them in context so you yeah. can hear how they relate. Yeah, to the once story. I know, okay, this is kind of the general theme of the song, mm-hmm. then I just pick up on the lyrics a lot more readily, and they register. You know what I mean? Instead of me listening to just words that are forming a melody, I actually intake the lyrics. And so, you know, um, this song I, I grew up listening to, obviously, um, and I've just never really given a thought at all to what it was about. I just honestly... Um, did not know. I don't know if you guys can hear the sirens in the background. But, um, <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of, there's something happened in the neighborhood. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, oh man, yeah, this is way, these are all just sex metaphors. This is all, uh, wow. You know, I just thought it was weird. I thought it was him being weird. But even the video as a kid, I didn't get, it literally, it literally starts with sperm. 
Like it's got, <laughs> and I just thought, oh yeah, but it's like pumping sperm at the vid- <laughs> at the first part of the video. I'm like, oh, this is cool. That's oh, it's going to an egg. Okay, neat, an egg. I get chickens, I guess. What? <laughs> and then there's chickens later in the thing. Anyway, I just didn't just never register before. I guess I'm naive. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Anyway, let's meet the band. <laughs> hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet Peter Gabriel's band uh, from the album So and from this track on Sledgehammer. Uh, we'll start with Peter Gabriel, lead vocalist and flautist. Um, fluter. Wow. Um, played the flout. Played the flute uh, with Genesis, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Genesis in 2010, and then again as a solo artist in 2014. Um, funny that um, of the Gabriel stuff, I, I like his solo stuff better than the than the Genesis stuff. Per, um, you know, personally, Genesis purists are probably scorning me right now. Oh but, yeah, um, that's just a personal personal take. Um, talked about how he seemed like a pretty good human earlier. Man of Peace Award for no from the Nobel Peace Prize and the Time Life Magazine named him one of the hundred most influential people in the world. Um, really? Yeah. That's, so, a, that's, and that's from Tom. That's a pretty big magazine. Wow. It's not like the Archie and, comics. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people in the world. To yeah. be considered one of well, the hundred most influential? Yeah, that is really most, something. That's a big deal. Um, pretty obscure, obscure costumes, um, which is actually what ultimately led to his departure from the band. Um, Genesis was known as being a pretty tight collective unit, and he was too out front um, for them. So I don't know if we'll talk any more on that in the Genesis episode or whatnot. But Soulsbury Hill, which we mentioned, was his first solo hit, and it was actually about his departure from Genesis. So those of y'all that don't know that I song, did not. go check it out. I had it's not a, paid attention to those lyrics. There you go. There's your lyric um, <laughs> of listen through. Um, on drums, a guy named Manu Kachi, yeah. uh, French. Um, also plays on Sting's Nothing Like the Sun and Soul Cages, yep. uh, a couple of our favorite albums. Played, played with him live a lot, too. Yeah. Um, also played with Joe Satriani, another one of our favorites, with Eurythmics, Dire Straits. Dire of Straits. Dire of Straits. A little reference from the past. Uh, Dears, t- Mark Knopfler. T- Mark Knopfler of Dire of Straits. <laughs> uh, Tears for Fears. He's on the Tracy Chapman Matters of the Heart album. Um And I mentioned that because he kind of looks like an old Tracy Chapman. If you pull up a picture of him, pull up Tracy Chapman, oh, that's funny. and then pull him up. He's like old Tracy Chapman. Oh, man. Yeah, so in 1982, he released his own solo album with Sting, Peter Gabriel, and Bram for Marsalis as guest musicians. So if you're going to have Not guest bad. musicians, let's pick those three guys. Not bad. Um, on bass, one of my favorites, uh, Tony Levin. Love this guy. Love this guy. Liquid Tension Experiment, King Crimson. His own band, the uh, Stick Men, the Band Stick Men, the Three Piece uh, Band, played on five hundred albums. Five hundred. Paula Cole, Cher, John Lennon, Alice Cooper, Asia, Todd Rundgren, Seal, toured with Peter Frampton, Richie Sambora, Carly Simon, James Taylor. Guy's a legend. Also played the tuba on Peter Gabriel's first album. Really? Yeah, yeah. Tony Levin. Played Tony the tuba. Levin played the tuba. Okay. Did not. Uh, did Fair not. Enough. Yeah. Did. He, uh, the only thing I think he ever did wrong in his life was he became a vegetarian in two thousand three. So <laughs> fail on that. No Tony. offense. Yeah. No, no offense to the vegan we folks. Like meat. The vegetarian folks. Yeah, we, we like meat. Um, on guitar, David Rhodes. Uh, he's been with Peter Gabriel since 1980 as his primary guitar player. He uses one of those Gibson Gibson. <laughs> those Gibson. We have played guitar before. <laughs> those Gibson. <laughs> I, we own guitars. One of, he, uh, he uses a Gibson robot guitar to oh, change yeah. his tuning. So uh, he only uses one guitar on stage the whole time, which is pretty rare. 
Um, you want to talk a little bit about the robot guitar? You can. It's, yeah, um, you know, I would just like to mention there. This this happened started happening probably around two thousand eight, maybe a little before, before that with that. Line Six stuff, where the they Vari-X. started. Yeah, they started coming out with different different kinds of guitars that had different ways of uh, tuning themselves, or it's called at least a power tune system, the Tunomatic Bridge. Yeah, and Gibson. So Gibson was kind of the the maybe not the last in line. But the way this was being done originally was all digital. Mm-hmm. So Line 6 came out. Uh, I know PV came out with one. Um, Line 6 came out with one that basically you hit your strings and it digitized the information and then sent it back out. And, and it could send it back out in different tunings, that kind of thing. Um, so we, literally you would be playing an open E chord um, and it would send out you know an open, a, a G chord, right? Uh, it would just... Tune it up, tune it down, however you wanted to. Alternate like a, tunings like Dadgad or yeah, open, it's more than know. just a capo. Like right. it does other things. Like sure, I, can, I remember one time we recorded something and Rob tuned his like a banjo, yeah, so that he could play yeah like a you, banjo on guitar, yeah. And um and so that was done digitally. Uh, there was another one that literally used the the Auto Tune software, Antares Auto Tune, um, and it would uh and it would it was a different method than even the Line Six stuff had used and um. And it would keep your guitar in tune. If you just hit your strings open, then it would automatically tune them digitally and keep you in tune that way. A different concept. Um, the the Gibson version, however, is all analog. Mm-hmm. It's literal robot uh, mechanized tuners that you tell it the tuning that you want, and it's got the little servos that start spinning, and it literally just tunes your guitar to a different tuning so that the tuning is authentic. The analog feel of what you're playing is matches the, the, the output of it. There's no, there's not a digital side to it other than the digital, uh, you know, interface of, of the guitar that does it. And you still have the four tone knobs. So like you've got yeah. the four tone knobs that look and the top one, uh, or where the bridge pickup tone knob would be, um, there it's a, called an MCK. It's a master control knob. Yeah. So that's the one that you just kind of t- like adjust as Rob was speaking of. So that's what David Rhodes plays. That's cool. Um, the guitar player. Freaking expensive. Yeah. They're yeah. so expensive. Yeah, they're not cheap. Um, David Lanois is the other, or maybe it's Lanois. It's L-A-N-O-I-S. Um, oh, yeah, Lanois. Oh, Lanois. Uh, guitar and tambourine on this. Most known as a producer. He produced U2's Acting Baby and Willie Nelson. Brandon Flowers. I know Rob's a big Brandon Flowers fan. So. Uh, Brian Eno. He also wrote all the music for Billy Bob Thornton's Sling Blade. No kidding. Which is neat to me because Billy Bob Thornton is also a writer. Yep. Um, so, and this uh, David guy's stuff gets covered a lot live. Dave Matthews covers him a lot. Willie Nelson covers him a lot. Um, on trumpet, we hinted at him earlier. Uh, Wayne Jackson. This guy's a legend. Played with Robert K. Robert Cray, Dusty Springfield, Doobie Brothers, Elvis Presley, Al Green. Toured with Otis Redding, as we talked about, and that's when he was discovered by Peter Gabriel. Big horn stuff all the way through, and he writes all the horn parts. Yeah. So he wrote all the horn parts for this. Not the only horn guy on this, though. Mark Rivera plays sax, and this yeah. is the guy that we were talking about the other day. Me and Rob were like, man, this guy, everyone sees and knows, but we can't even remember his name. Sorry, Mark, so but uh, Sorry, yeah, that's him. He's now plays with the Billy Joel Band. Um, I got to see him with Ringo Starr's also, but All-Star Band. Um, he also played with Joe Walsh, Billy Ocean, Simon and Garfunkel. This guy's a legend. Yeah. Uh, on trombone, Don Mickelson played on tons of stuff, but I didn't know any of it, hardly. <laughs> like, he's got a library that's super thick, other than the stuff he did with Grandmaster Flash. Um, other two backing vocalists on this, Carol Gordon and D. Lewis. 
Um, and another backing vocalist, uh, somebody by the name of P.P. P. Arnold, sang back up for... That's unfortunate. I, I know, right? Horrible name. As somebody, My name is J.P. I get called everything being initials. Yeah. P.P. Right. Yeah, even even just on the podcast, you've been called oh, about four different JT, names. JT, yeah. I know, yeah, it's, it happens. So, um, sang back up for Ike and Tina Turner review in the Ikets. Uh, she did her own solo thing at the suggestion of Mick Jagger. It's a pretty good little suggestion if Mick not says that. do your yep. thing. Uh, she was really well received in England, but not so much in the U.S. And she said it was really noticeable the difference the way white audiences treated her in the U.S. versus England. So that's a uh, quite interesting. Hmm. Um, I wonder. Yeah, I'm. I'm assuming was, probably she felt like she got treated better in better England. in England. Yeah. Yes, than here. Uh, she sang with Humble Pie. That sucks. I know. Right. I love America. Had a solo hit with her version of Cat Stevens' First Cut Is the Deepest," and she did work on the 1970 Jesus Christ Superstar. So that was PPR. There's the Meet the Band section from mm. Peter Gabriel. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit more about um, the album, and yeah. then we'll and then we'll gush about the song itself a little bit more. Um, this was the album So. It was Peter Gabriel's fifth solo album, uh, but it was his first with an album title. Uh, all of his other previous uh, albums were untitled, or uh, what's the word? I have to think about what it means every time I see it. Eponymous, right? They were self-titled. Um, it is number 187 on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list. Oh, that's man, that's high. That's yeah, good. It's good. Do you have what it's surrounded by? Yeah, this is 187, uh, and it is between number 188, uh, Buffalo Springfields again, and number 186, Fresh by Sly and the Family Stone. How about that? So, some good, good funk company, company in yeah. there, yeah. Uh, some good funk and company. <laughs> hey, hey, easy now. Um, it is a five times certified platinum in the United States. That means five million albums plus sold, and three times platinum in the UK. I mean... It's a huge album, like big, 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 big sales. Nominated for Album of the Year uh, at the 1987 Grammys, and it lost to Paul Simon's Graceland. It oh, man. Good year for appropriation. Right. Um, so everybody's everybody's winning by, by stealing <laughs> from Africans. It's cool. It was a thing to do in 1986, <laughs> man. Let's just do it. Um, it was recorded at Peter Gabriel's house. I was uh, pretty, pretty, I'm always shocked to find that these great classic records were recorded in somebody's garage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when we talked to Martin Page, uh, he, you know, he's like, yeah, I recorded in my garage, have my whole life. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, you know. Um, but it was recorded at Peter Gabriel's house. Of course, now when you, when you think about Peter Gabriel's house, it's not exactly like this was recorded at my house. It's not know? like his garage would have – I don't picture it to have like fish and tackle yeah. and a lawnmower right. in there like your typical garage. Yeah, no. Let me move my car so we can – So no. we can record. No, I know, right? it's like, you know, it's so – but he had a uh, – but I it, I saw some pictures and it didn't look like – I mean, he had, you know, nice gear in there. But What it, do you think Peter Gabriel has hanging on the wall in his garage? He doesn't have the fishing rod, I wouldn't think. Man. What okay. does he have hanging I think, in there? I would think something humanitarian, right? Okay. Something to remind him of broken humanity, probably. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that would be. Um, you know, maybe, I don't He's know. He's got a picture of the National Geographic with yeah. the Indian girl with the neck thing there you go. That's on it. there. Just, 100%, that's yeah, it. That's on his garage Absolutely, wall. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he had, he had two uh, analog, um, analog tape machines that he would record on there, 24-track machines, and then they would later be transferred to digital tape. Um, but the recording process seems to be pretty similar throughout the project. He would record a piano demo on one machine, just him and the piano, and then that machine would play back to the other machine, and the um, band would record their parts over that demo. 
So that's like his click track. It's yes. like a here's the track we're going to play with, right? And then exactly. we're just going to not use the piano part, right? And in the original, that's neat. Yeah. So they're recording over his thing, and they would you know get their parts and get the feel and everything from his from his piano track. And uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I actually heard on some uh, later uh, re-releases, you know, uh, of of this album, they've included some of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and in some of his like archives or whatever. So. The piano demo of Sledgehammer, you know, stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. That's cool. It's always cool to hear the genesis, the gen- if you will, oh, nice. of, uh, of these, you know, kind of classic songs. Um, this album, you know, spawned several big hits, uh, and one of them is, your, is In Your Eyes. Man, I love and that song. The other, like, you know, Peter Gabriel pop, you know, mega hit. Um, and originally, he wanted it, this is, he wanted this to, he wanted In Your Eyes to close the album. But due to a weird quirk of vinyl records that I didn't have never heard about, never even thought about, he couldn't. Um, not because of time, but because of some of the physics of how a vinyl record works. Apparently, the it, the heavier bass on the song on "In Your Eyes" required it to be placed earlier on the album, where the the little stylus on the record players could handle the heavier vibration oh, wow. of the bass notes. That's a great. That's a great fact. I never even so. Apparently, it's. For, further closest to in the, the far middle, edge need- in the middle it's harder for it to handle those bass notes on a record wow uh, yeah isn't that weird yeah. so you had so they had to place it heavier on the record they didn't change the mix uh-uh. so it could go last they said the mix is more important the mix is perfect we don't want to compromise the song yeah. we'll co- we'll move the placement of yeah. the song that's isn't great interesting so on later releases re- later releases of the album it's last so if you yeah. have the cd version of so in Your Eyes is the last track. I have the CD um, version. It's, it's five. Online. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So maybe, the, I, I think at some point they started putting it last um, in, maybe it's just re-releases or maybe it started with a remaster or something like maybe. that. Um, so yeah, that interesting. I never, never, never even Yeah, I never thought of that. that. This is a good album. Um, do you know yeah. Big Time? I oh, love yeah. the song Big Time on there. Uh, do you know the story about how they did that? Mm. So Tony Levin is playing this awesome bass line. Maybe we'll play a little bit of sampling of Big Time here in a minute so y'all know what we talk about. And uh, Jerry Marotta, the drummer for that song, started hitting the strings with the stick, with his drumsticks. So it was giving it like a percussive sound, and that inspired Tony Levin to invent Funk Fingers, which that this song is what inspired funk fingers really made and if y'all don't know what those are they kind of look like long pretzels on the end of somebody's <laughs> finger they look, um and the drummer on the track of big time is actually Stuart copeland of the police, yes, from the police. so play a little bit of it so y'all know what song we're talking about here's another uh, little peter gabriel reference for you guys absolutely Got that similar kind of funk influence, you know, um, uh, blue-eyed soul. That's as we right. Talked about with the Holland Oats and kind of classification here. Yeah, blue-eyed soul. I had it listed as dance rock too. Dance rock. That fe- I was going to say that feels a little bit like reminiscent of uh, maybe Let's Dance by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sort of you know. Um, like seventies, there's a bad way to classify this because they're much more than that. But like seventies performers doing eighties sounding music, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get like it. Um, that that kind of vibe. Um, so the album was noted by some critics. You know, we said it was criticized by some people who who um, didn't appreciate what they felt like was you know basically an artist, uh, you know, an English artist using uh, you know kind of. Um, other cultures' vibes in spots to create a pop success, right? People don't like that. Um, 
but uh, it was noted by some critics as being real progress, um, that it was a, a kind of commentary on the same era Genesis work. Like the critics, critics of Genesis saw them as having sold out to gain pop success, but felt Gabriel's work on So was more authentic for whatever reason, uh, probably because he used African percussion. People eat that up. Um, but uh, so this was, you know, this, the, in other words, some of the same people who, cri- who criticized Genesis the same year as sellouts praised Peter Gabriel the same year as making real progress uh, from his, you know, from his past. So who knows? It's music. If you like it, listen to it. I mean, really, unless it's R. Kelly canceled. The <laughs> uh, majority of it was done on the 82 Fairlight Series 2 CMI. It's a computer musical instrument. It's what CMI stands for. Basically, it's a synthesizer, sampler, and audio digital station. Digital audio station, I think I refer yep. to. The first of these came out in 79, and the first time the instrument was ever used was on Peter Gabriel's fourth album. So that was the first time okay. it was ever used. So that's kind of cool that he he made this Fairlight series. I didn't know much about the Fairlight series too before I started looking it up. Um, that album's great, with pretty much no hits on it, but it's a it's a good good it's album. Good. So yeah, he made this made this album uh, or made this instrument relevant. Like yeah. I'd never never heard of the Fairlight series too before I started looking this up. A big part of his um, his focus is technology um, using and pioneering and finding ways to use technology to make music and make art is a big part of what he does. I was listening to a pretty recent interview with him and I'm, I'm going to mess up these percentages a little bit, but they asked him what, what percentage of, of your life now is dedicated to music versus, um, you know, humanitarian work and the other things that you're involved in. And he said, probably 25% of my life at this point is music. And the other is split up between, uh, technology, working with technology and humanitarian efforts. Awesome. So like, it's a big part of what he does and, he, and he's basically, uh, trying to pioneer things to make way for other people to be able to, he's, he's trying to walk so other people can run, you mm-hmm. know, with, with technology and stuff like that. And the way that you can use it to make different sounds and push, push the envelope with synthesizers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is from a different area era, and we'll probably talk about this more in the Genesis album, which is coming up right next on the Great Song Podcast. <laughs> um, Teaser. But about, you know, using he, – he came from the era of analog synthesizers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like late 60s, early 70s was the birth of analog synthesis where you could take a keyboard and kind of make it sound – you know, kind not of, like a piano. Yes, not like a piano exactly. Uh, and you could do strings and brass and all these different, just weird what we would just call synth sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so prevalent now. Um, but they they used like knobs and transistors to make these sounds happen. On they didn't know. hit a button like A four exactly. Like they you literally had to tweak and edit the sound exactly. Now everything's digital. You go, I want this synth patch. Boom, and you click a button, and it's there. But uh, you know these, you know these guys, these early synth guys, they're the ones who did the work to figure out how uh, you know, like Moog and all these you know early pioneers of this. They they figured out okay, if we take this and treat it this way and do use this kind of wave and blah blah blah, like it's, it's insane. Um, so he's about that life. Like Gabriel's trying to do more of that. How can we use technology to make music better? How can we use technology to make the world better? Blah 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 blah. So very cool. Um, I got a cover section. Yeah. Can, let's talk about the video real quick before oh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. you know, just because the video is so landmark. I want to do it before we get to covers. Um, <clears throat> the video for Sledgehammer 
was nominated for 10 Video Music Awards. Man. And it won nine of them, a record that still stands. That's huge. In 1987. Think about the videos that have been released since then. Let's see. I didn't see uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit winning more <laughs> awards than that, did you? No. I didn't see Vogue winning more awards than that, did you? <laughs> That's true. Um, it won the more than any ever. It won Video of the Year. Best Male Video, Best Concept Video, uh, for which Gabriel was also nominated for Big Time and also Genesis for Land of Confusion. Um, it won an award called Most Experimental Video, which, okay, cool. Uh, best Overall Performance in a Video, Best Direction in a Video, Best Special Effects, Best Art Direction, Best Editing. And it was nominated for the Viewer's Choice Award along with Land of Confusion, and it lost to U2's With or Without You. Um, it was also presented, he was presented with the Video Vanguard Award, which I've heard that term my whole life. I don't, I don't know what that Never is. Never bothered to look up what yeah. it was. It's basically a, an award given for special achievement in video. Um, and uh, it was, it was, I think it was at some point called a Lifetime Achievement Award, but they n- renamed it the Video Vanguard Award. And then in 1992, uh, it was renamed the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. And um, the award, the, the first award under that moniker was given to Guns N' Roses in 1992 oh, yeah? for their video trilogy uh-huh. of November Rain and uh, um, uh, um, what's it called? Don't Cry. Uh, yeah, and, and um, uh, 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 it's it, strange. Estranged. Jeez Louise. That was one word. Oh, God. Golly. Anyway, that sort of video trilogy. Um, and they took the award, and the last thing that Axel said in his speech was, this has nothing to do with Michael Jackson. Thank you. And, <laughs> and they go off stage. Um, so anyway, uh, like you said, it's number four on MTV's uh, 100 Best Videos of All Time list. And as of, as of 2012, at least, and presumably still, based on the amount of music that MTV actually plays now, Sledgehammer is the most played video of all time on MTV. Is that insane? Like, more than Thriller, right? Like, it's been played more times than any. Man. Um, and this was a time, and we'll talk about this with Genesis too, because their videos were really important. This was a time when the artist-MTV relationship was important to MTV, right? Like, MTV needed artists still um, to keep their brand growing. And, and then artists at this, at this point are you know, fully aware of the power of video, right? So it's a, at this point, it's still a kind of a symbiotic relationship with artists and, and the network because they're both really helping each other. Mm-hmm. Now, by the early 90s, uh, MTV didn't need anybody. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's largely because of videos like this that people wanted to see over and over and over and over uh, and Thriller and, you know, et cetera. Um, land of Confusion. Land of Confusion, right. Like, I got to see that again. You know, that was awesome. And um, But at this point, MTV is encouraging people, hey, please make videos so that we can play them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, later, they were probably like, can some of y'all just quit making videos? <laughs> you know, like, can you just not? We don't need it. Um, got too much. Not enough airtime. And that's when they start MTV2, uh-huh. right? MTV Europe, whatever it is, you know, uh, VH1 Classic, you know, all that good stuff. If you've never seen the video, you definitely should go watch it, right? It was a – looking at it now, if you saw the video now, you would go, that's cool digital work, right? Like that's well done. Um, but the thing is it's not digital. None of it's digital. It's all 100% analog. Um, he, he laid on a glass slab for like 16 hours a day while they filmed this video for like a week. And it's frame by frame, claymation. It's um, 
so a lot of the video is him spent and it's just him facing the camera. Okay. But it's really him laying down. Um, and he's got glass. I think he's laying, I think he's laying on top of glass and under glass. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so they're animating behind him and on top of him with all kinds of things. And it's a, and it's frame by frame and him singing the lyrics frame by frame, right? Trying to, so you see all the weird movements of his mouth as he's trying to say, you know, you could have a big dipper at 24 frames a second, having to, having to figure out, okay, what part of the word you would I be saying in this frame? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's crazy. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it creates a really unique look. You know, we have seen claymation before, right? But to have a person animated 24 frames a second, I really don't recall seeing that much. Um, so it's got... Take some patience to record that. Holy cow, Goodness are you Christ. kidding? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, and it's really done, it's really done through, it's really done through photography mm-hmm. rather than video. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, you're taking snapshots and putting 24 of them together to make one second of video and they're, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's crazy. And so there's, you know, whatever, four minutes of, of that to create this video, but it's got, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's singing about, he's singing about a roller coaster and it's his hair is all flying and he's going side to side and there's a roller coaster behind him. You know what I mean? That he, it, like he's on and it's just, it's just crazy. And then there's these chickens dancing. <laughs> they're like, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, it's really, really cool. And then at the end he's, kind of he's dancing in in he gets out from the glass and he's standing up and he's dancing in a room and he's got like kind of a choir behind him where they're singing at the end you know um and uh and but even that's done frame by frame he's everybody's moving very jerkedly you know through their things but it's like if they if they say okay now you're going to lift your hands then it takes <sighs> I mean, 20 frames to get your hands from here to here. You know, it's just a really interesting look. Crazy, um, you know, crazy imaginative for um, for the video. And really a lot of work, too. Yeah. Uh, which is why it won all the awards, because it was amazing. And it was kind of uh, un- not unprecedented at the time, but it's, but so impressive. Yep. You know? Um, you got a favorite moment from the video? No. Nah. It's... <laughs> yeah, there's... No, I don't know. I, he, there's a certain point at which he... He hits himself, I think, in the head with a sledgehammer. Not the way that he does live. But like <laughs> no. his, I, I think his fist becomes a sledgehammer, and he hits himself in the head. And his face, he, his whole character is is uh, claymation at this point, right? His face is claymation and everything. And he hits himself in the head with a hammer, and his his head sprouts arms and legs yeah. and becomes its own person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's even a fig leaf over his mouth that would be <laughs> where the where the uh, you know. Yeah, where the sledgehammer would be. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I always thought that was cool. And, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't like to see just raw chickens dancing? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> he said, I was, watching, I was watching an interview, and he was like, that got pretty rank pretty quickly. Like, they were going to do more with the chickens. There was an, a more elaborate dance planned for them. Uh, but, these, but these raw, uh, dead, you know, skinned whole chickens, they started to, they started to go downhill pretty quickly. <laughs> so they had to move on. You got anything on covers? Yes, yes, I actually do. Um, there's a girl named Morgan James that does, it's different, but uh, take a listen. I like it. It's different, but it's, it's money. I just put different, but money. <laughs> Have 
the steam train. I wonder if this is how he wrote it. Because it's Basically, piano. Yeah. If you it's really what it sounds like, yeah. Down your tracks, you could have an airplane flying. I like the left hand. If you bring your blue sky back, all you do is call me. I'll be anything you need. You could have a big dipper. Oh, yeah. Going up and down all around the bends. Yeah. You could have a bumper car bumping. I mean, this a big dipper going up and down all around the bends. <laughs> I want to be your sledgehammer. Yeah. Why don't you call my name? Oh yeah, Sarah. I'm here for that, dude. Yeah, I like it. I would go. I would pay. I'd pay ten bucks to watch that. Yeah, I'd go see. Yeah, I'd yeah. go see Morgan James. Um, Fifty sounding a little different. Uh, Noah Guthrie. I don't Noah know if you Guthrie. want to take a take a gander of Noah Guthrie. We don't have to listen to the whole thing of this. Just a little sampling. Hey. Yeah, mad different. That's kind of their thing, though. Yeah, they do. They do. Steam tray. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. If you just lay down your tracks, you could have an airplane flying. Going to that four chord. <laughs> if you bring your blue skies back, all you do is call me. I'll be anything you need. You could have a big dipper. That's cool, dude. So, yeah. Anyway, and then they go completely different. Leo Maraccioli. Oh wow! We gotta oh, get Leo. we gotta get the metal version in there. We've we've referenced this guy in the past. Yeah. Every now and then we like to throw him out. I think this is a a good time to bring him out and let let Leo have a have his moment in the sun here. Come on, Leo, let's do it. For all you metal heads <laughs> out there, get ready. He went- Woo! Yeah. It's like an 18-string guitar. <laughs> I like the short chords. I don't know about the vocals yet. I'm not sold. No, I'm out. Really? It doesn't bother me. Guitar work? Yeah, I love the guitar. Yeah. No, let me let me I'm gonna skip ahead. <laughs> Yeah. 
All right. All Anytime right. we can throw in a metal reference of anything. A, a for effort, uh, maybe B minus for execution. I was with it till he started singing, and, then, right. and then I was out. There's also two different songs completely called Sledgehammer, one by Fifth Harmony and one by Rihanna. Yeah. Um, completely different songs. Not, not the same. Not yeah. the same song. Um, okay. I have a couple, not covers, uh, but I have a couple samples of okay. the song. Um one I won't play, but I'm just going to mention because I mention it every every chance I get. Um, Weird Al used Sledgehammer to open up. So like every album since his early days, not since his first album, but um, but since his early days, he's put a polka compilation on every album. And so every album has this song that's maybe five minutes long that it's not parodies, but it's polka versions of pop songs, rock well, songs. he doesn't change the lyrics. It's right, the he doesn't change the lyrics. He just presents them in polka format. And so, you know what? Why don't I just do, <laughs> why don't I just do it? Uh, let's just hear it. Um, this is the song Polka Party from the album Polka Party. Now, he st- for, the, for the longest time, because of this song, I got thrown off by the first line of the actual song when I heard it because he starts with the second verse. He doesn't start with the first verse, uh, which is weird, but here we go. So he starts with, you could have a Big Dipper. And so that's what I always expect to be the first lyric that I hear. Of the original. Because I've listened to this so much. (laughs) You could have a Big Dipper (laughs) going up and down all around the bend. So happy. The man, the man is just a genius. Come on. Weird Al, I'm going to call your manager every day. We're going to get you. Every day your manager is going to call for me until you come on this show. We come up for you. Uh, Okay. Now I want you to hear uh, a song that I didn't just go dig up for this podcast. I promise. I genuinely have love for this song and this may be a surprise, Uh, but this is Pop Goes the Weasel by Third Bass. Are you familiar with this song at all? God. (laughs) <laughs> it just pop pop goes the weasel yes. the weasel yes. that one yeah yes. yeah okay. okay so uh this is from like 1991 or something okay and they very adeptly use a sample from this song from Sledgehammer and from You Haven't Done Nothing by Stevie Wonder okay right so cool uh, and I always loved the song as a kid, and then later realized, oh crap, that's Sledgehammer. Oh yeah, like, you know. So uh, this is Pop Goes the Weasel forever, by so. Third Base. It's about Vanilla Ice, like it's basically a diss track on Vanilla Ice. Oh yeah, um, and about he about how he stole the sample Queen song? from yeah. So it's a song about dissing Vanilla Ice for sampling that uses heavy samples. Oh, that's cool. It's a neat concept. Yeah. Let's all sing Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> I see the empty pocket needs a refill. I got a squad with a 
with a list of complainers. I should have started rape. Rappers against phony entertainers. So we can make it known that we won't yeah. get swayed. It's 91, son. So something's got to change. Getting paid pedal sneakers and soda pop. I'm going to make it to the, I got to make it to chorus. Why not take a top 10 pop hit? Fix the music and make sense. This rhyme's fit. I guess it's the fact that you can't be autistic. Intricate raps becoming so simplistic. I got a strong mind. It doesn't have to be spoon fed. And I can read. It doesn't have to be read. So some stay illiterate and feeble, legally licked. You go the ways of the weasel. Oh, there it is. I've never heard that underneath it. Oh, yeah. That's what happens when you pay too much attention to the lyrics. Yeah. You miss the music. So then, so then later they add in on top of that, they add in the horn line from you haven't done nothing by Stevie wonder. Let me get toward the end of the track. Let's see if we can find it. That's great. Cool. Like I realize they're just it's it's kind of ironic use of those samples, but I love it. Like uh-huh. that that intersection is is great for me. I love it. Um, it was also sampled, uh, and I haven't checked into this. This is the mistake I, you make sometimes when fi- learning things off the internet. So we're going to find out if this is true or not. Uh, but apparently, it's a sampled by Naughty by Nature for their song Hip Hop Hooray, which I love. How do you I feel do about that song? Hooray, I feel like it could make an appearance someday. I'm, Maybe you know. Give it up for Naughty by Nature. Yeah. Well, there, there you is. go. Okay. <laughs> that was easy. Never even thought about it. I think that's probably the that's extent probably of the, the sample. Same. What a groove. Can we just appreciate yeah. this groove for a second? Right. Come on. Put your hands up. Woo! Yeah. That is a relentless beat right there. Anyway. Uh, yeah, okay. Settled. Definitely sampled. <laughs> I don't know if it's a then started. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that took all of two seconds. Yeah, that's it. Uh, man, hope you've enjoyed season four, episode one of the Great Song Podcast. Welcome back, this guys. This is just this is just part one of day one. Listen, That's right. we're just we're just just getting started. Trifecta. With this. We're about to we're about to Sammy Hagar this thing, y'all. We're about to go second era of Genesis here in just a second. So stick around. We got the Invisible Touch album <laughs> and Mike and the Mechanics coming up. If all you want to hang around for Gary Sharon. That's right. Yeah, he'll be here shortly. <laughs> That's right, man. Uh, so listen, if you want to, if you love season one, if you love the previous uh, seasons, episodes, tell somebody about it. We love to hear from you guys. Connect with us on Twitter at Great Song Pod. Uh, hit us up on Facebook at Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. It's a group, or you can go to just facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. Find us there. Hit us up always on the website, greatsongpod.com, and uh, you can get yourself some sweet merch. Uh, anything that you want to do there or hit all the archives. And thanks for sticking with us through the summer. We missed you guys. Yeah, we hope our little bite-sized episodes, uh, you know, brought you through, brought you some joy in the desolate, hot, sweaty summer months. We <laughs> thought, we hope we were an oasis of sweet, <laughs> sweet water for you. Maybe some cactus juice, uh, out in, out in the desert. 
Um, we got some good stuff in store for season four, guys. We got oh some boy. interviews coming at you. It's going to be good. It's yeah. Be oh, man. We're so excited. Literally today as we're filming our first episodes, we have two big interviews that we're so excited about and I uh, can't get to wait. Can't we can't get to wait to get, get them to episodes. Wait to, get, to get them going can't at get you. To, when I get to talking, not Come on down, great song podcast. All right, we'll see you later next time on the Great Song Podcast. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.